Well, all right. Well, come on back and grab your Bibles, and you can turn over to Jonah chapter 4, as we think we're going to close out Jonah tonight. I think we will. And remember, we're trying to distinguish all the minor prophets. So we've gone through Hosea, 14 chapters, Joel, three chapters, Amos, nine chapters, Obadiah, real hard, one chapter, real difficult. And now, now we're in Jonah, four chapters. And remember, how do you distinguish them? Well, you find out if they're a pre-exilic prophet, an exilic prophet, or a post-exilic prophet. That's one way to distinguish them. You find out the dates that they operated and did their prophecies. And that's another way. And um, who were they prophesying to? Uh, that's important. And so uh, if you can sort of jot those down as we go along, that's a way to distinguish them uh, because we tend to just sort of lump them together and they aren't uh, to be lumped together. I mean, they have, they're the word of God and they have distinct messages. So anyway, we are in the book of Jonah and that's a fascinating book. Really fascinating, because we learn in 2 Kings 14, verse 25, right in there, okay, 20 through 25, we learn of a guy named Jonah. We learn of a guy named Jonah who prophesied under King Jeroboam II. And Jeroboam II was an Israeli king, which means he was a northern king, and it wasn't Jeroboam I. It was Jeroboam II, and that happened around 780s, uh, 770s. That's when he was in the courts of Jeroboam, who was a very evil king. And Jonah gave a prophecy, basically, that said Israel's borders were going to expand, and they did. And that's really all you need to know, but the point is God was telling them uh, something, and he had gone into the courts, and he had made this prophecy. And so the point is, he was a very popular, in the know, uh, well-connected prophet. And not many people know that, uh, that that happened in 2 Kings 14. So he, now he comes several years later. Uh, he's probably, we don't know exactly, but he's probably, you know, 770s, 760s. Uh, prophesying this Jonah, and actually this isn't a prophecy at all, and that's really a touching point. Here within the minor prophets, God gives a message, watch this, through the story of a man. And that's important. Because if I was God, and thank goodness I'm not, I probably would have written down a systematic theology for all of you people to learn. And I probably would have done it by bullet points, maybe not, because I'm not very organized, but you know, I'd have given you the information. But it's so touching because the Lord uses people to display his glory and write his story. It's amazing. And let me remind you a little bit about Jonah. He came from the north. He was up in Galilee region. That's where he lived. It tells us in 2 Kings. And at the time of the book of Jonah, remember, God comes to him again with the prophecy. 
Can you imagine? I always just think, Jonah probably was saying, good, some more popular theology. I'm going to march into the king's area of, of you know, is Israel, and I'm going to give some prophecy, and they're going to love it, and it's just going to be wonderful. But the Lord doesn't do that. The Lord says, I want you to go to the most barbaric, brutal enemies of our people, Nineveh, the Assyrians, and I want you to just give them a very simple message, but I want you to go there. There it is. And I want you to go up to Nineveh and do that. But Jonah doesn't do that. And you know the story. He runs the other way. And the farther he gets into this, he comes down from Galilee to Joppa, finds there's an available fare, there's an available ticket on a ship, and I have the money to pay for it. And he does do that. And remember, we warned ourselves, didn't we? We always pray, Lord, give us open doors. But oftentimes when we're running away from the Lord, the enemy of our souls opens doors and makes things really comfortable and money, right? And all that sort of thing. When reality, the difficult task was really the will of God. And so Jonah keeps doing that and he goes farther down and farther down and he gets down into the bottom of the ship and they're like, what's going on here? The people on the ship, the pagan people, the captain and the crew on the ship and they cast lots. By the way, God prepared the cast lots and it came upon Jonah. He was the reason that they were having so much trouble and there was, you know, there was a shaking in the water and they were going to, you know, they asked to call upon his God and, uh, uh, they were exceedingly afraid and very scared. And eventually Jonah gets thrown over into the sea. And the Bible tells us that the Lord prepared the great fish. That's amazing. From the time he was a guppy, the Lord knew that Jonah was going to be in the great fish. And in the great fish, watch this, Jonah has humility and repentance in the belly of the fish and as he's repenting, it's interesting to me, you know, he's in that tight spot. As he's repenting, unbeknownst to him, the Lord is moving the fish out of the middle of the Mediterranean to the coast. And he gets spit up, vomited out, up on the coast. As we repent, the Lord moves. Fascinating. Well, we read Jonah's prayer uh, in chapter 2. He felt like he was going down into the place of the dead. And when his soul had fainted within, verse 7, he remembered the Lord and his prayer went up to the Lord. And he sought again the presence of the Lord. And we talked about that. And then last week, we see that Jonah then turns around and moves towards Nineveh. And what's a beautiful, graceful, merciful scripture, folks, is verse 1, chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. You know, in the world, if somebody goes that way and they mess up, they get thrown on the trash heap. You get about one big-time opportunity in the corporate world or whatever, in business world or even the friendship world or even relationship world. And it's oftentimes you get thrown away. Here, the Lord patiently loved Jonah enough 
to bother him and interrupt his running so that he would turn back and turn back and get into the will of God again. And God was so patient to do that. And we, we, we thought about and even talked about being uh, able when the Lord interrupts our life to start recognizing that it's from the Lord, to be able to praise him for turning us around and moving us toward what he wants. Because, folks, let's just be honest. We gravitate towards the comfortable. And the Lord doesn't call us as followers of Christ to be comfortable, despite what people say on TV, or many people say on TV. The Lord calls us to do his will, even when it's difficult. Well, the, Lord came, uh, the, the word came to the Lord a second time. What, what, what mercy and grace. And says, go back to, or go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it that message that I tell you. And that's an add-on from the first time the Lord spoke to Jonah. He said, let me just be clear. Jonah, don't worry. I'll tell you what to say. And he was so merciful and wonderful to Jonah, he just gave him eight words. Uh, just say, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And he does do this. And last week, we went through the repentance of the Ninevites. And I screwed up, and I said the repentance of Jonah in my teaching. But it obviously meant the Ninevites. And we went through there and explored that. They believed God. They proclaimed a fast. They, they mourned for their sin. And even this Im- impacted the king of Nineveh or the king of Assyria. And he said, let's cry mightily to God. Let, let, let us turn from our evil way. And we went through the signs of true repentance. Remember that? By the way, time out. True repentance doesn't carry the word but in it. It's like, you know, I really was, you know, bad in that situation. But, and then we always add the tagline, don't we? But that person was a real jerk. You're not repentant at all. You're not seeing what the Lord's doing in you. You're still blaming the other person. And so we talked about that at length. And then God, verse 10 of chapter 3, saw their works and they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster. He, uh, upon repentance, God turned uh, from his purposes of judgment and the disaster didn't happen that he said he would bring upon them and he didn't do it. Now, I want you to think about something for a second. Jonah here is, starts out, let's just say, uh, here's how we think of it. It's sort of a bad first chapter. You're like, Jonah, come on, man, seriously? Although, think about it. It would be like us running over to the Middle East and witnessing to ISIS. That's how brutal these people were. But God had something for him, and uh, he sort of turns it around at the end of chapter 1 and into chapter 2. And you see here this greatest of all evangelical (laughs) events. I mean, the whole city is going to turn around and repent. And 
we would be jumping up and down. I mean, there would be Time Magazine articles about this if it was current, right? If, uh, you, you know, uh, the city uh, that you can think of, whatever, whatever city you can think of that's evil and rough, had there'd been a great revival in it. I mean, wow, it'd be something to to jump up and down and praise the Lord about. So that's why when I, we read what we're about to read now, it's sort of shocking. And here it is. Verse 1, chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. What? I mean, what? Isn't that what we're in this for? Here's this great man of God. I mean, this is a religious person. He'd been involved in prophecy before. He'd heard directly from the Lord one time in the courts of Jeroboam II, or before the courts of Jeroboam II, and that was a popular prophecy. He'd heard from the Lord in chapter 1, we know, and he'd heard a second time there in uh, chapter 2 and 3, or chapter 3. And what the Lord had told him is go and tell this message. But let's think about why it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Watch. So he prayed to the Lord, verse 2, and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a graceful and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. By the way, this is almost directly from Exodus 34 about who God, how God describes himself. One who relents from doing harm. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life for me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now, let's just unpack that for a minute. Let's think about it. What was Jonah called to do? He was called to give a message of judgment towards the Ninevites. He never even wanted to do it. And the reason he didn't want to, do, want to do it is not so much that he was scared, although it probably entered into his mind, or that it was a difficult task, although that probably entered his mind. He said the reason that he didn't want to go to Ninevite because he knew what God would do. And he, he says it right there in verse 2, and he didn't like it. In other words, he had some hatred or some prejudices, or here's a better way of saying it. Watch this. He didn't see other people who were his enemies, quote-unquote, as God saw them. Hmm. Here's another thing I want you to consider. If God did what he did in verse 10, he relented. He, because of the repentance, turned course and didn't bring judgment. Guess what that meant? For Jonah, his prophecy didn't come true. Now think about that. He was a person who was probably known among the religious community in Israel. He had prophesied before, especially to the higher-ups. And now he's given a prophecy. And what do you know about prophets in which their prophecy doesn't come true? Well then, you know, they were a false prophet. He was, in, in other words, he must have been, folks, he must have been very discouraged and upset, watch this, that his personal reputation was at stake right here. Are you catching that? 
No matter what it is that all of these hundreds of thousands of people had repented, watch. My personal dignity, integrity, reputation, how people see me and know me is at stake. And God, you screwed it up. That's what he's saying here. He is displeased exceedingly. The phrase is white hot. He is kindled. That's another way of in the phrase. He's kindled. It is burning within him that the Lord did this. He's displeased. And he goes on and he says, Lord, and this is really subtle, I think, but I want you to think about this. He says, oh, Lord, you say in Exodus 34 that you're slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life for me, for it is better for me to die than to live. There's this implication that some people see right here that, watch this, that Jonah is using the word of God against God. In other words, what Jonah is sort of saying here is, you're inconsistent. I'm the one who's consistent here. Oh, shoot. Who else in the Bible used the word of God against our Lord and Savior, Jesus? The enemy of our souls. The enemy of our souls, when he took him out into the wilderness, he showed him the bread, he showed him the kingdoms, etc. You know the story. And so something really dastardly is going on here with Jonah in Jonah's heart, which is fascinating to me. Here's why. Because when I read this, I sort of, when I'm not in the spirit, kind of get angry. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Are, I'll just say it. Are you an idiot? He just saved you from this great fish. And he brought you in, and God recognized what was going on in your heart at the beginning. And here you come, and the Lord has something to do, and it's a great work, and it's an amazing work, and you're displeased. And then the Lord gets a hold of my heart, and he says, I use flawed people just like you, pointing, pointing to myself. You know, ever since you've been saved, have you ever had a bad attitude? Have you ever sort of griped against God? I mean, you maybe didn't say it, but you said, Lord, why'd you put me with this guy? Or why'd you put me with this girl? Or why, why won't the pastor, I mean, let me teach on Wednesday nights? Or how come I'm the one that has to clean the toilets and nobody shows up to help me? You ever had a bad attitude? And here, this man Jonah, who obviously is a follower of God, is having a really bad attitude. A really bad attitude. Harry Ironsides, Dr. Harry Ironsides, puts it like this. The, the verse in the Bible says that the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God. 
And we usually sort of think of that as applying to people who are unconverted. But we who are converted also oftentimes act according to the flesh. You ever walked according to the flesh, folks? I know you do. I watch you people in traffic, and I see you when somebody cuts you off. No, I'm talking about myself. But you, you know what I'm saying. So this is a great picture. And so then you go on and you read. He gets so bad, he says, I, I want to even die. He'd said this again, remember, up on the ship. The Lord, man. The Lord's so amazing. You know what I would have done if I was the Lord right here? I would have taken him to the woodshed. I mean, seriously, come on, man. I've taken you through all of this stuff, all these things. We just had a miraculous thing where all these people in all this city turned and recognized me as the one true God. And I'm, I'm tired of it, Jonah. That's maybe what I would have said. Watch what the Lord says. The Lord then prepares several questions. It's always like the Lord. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? And that's really interesting because that's how the Lord does it, doesn't he? You know, when I was in law school, I had, I, the first day of law school, honestly, folks, I went to this class called torts. I thought a tort was a dessert, and I'm not making a joke. I had no idea. Nobody in my family went to college. And nobody, so therefore nobody graduated from college, and certainly nobody went to law school. And I show up to law school, and you know, uh, lawyers are irritating, and they get it because they go to law school, because here's why. You just want the answer from the professor, and he or she will never just give it to you. Never. You know what they say? Well, what do you think? Well, you tell me, or they ask a question or an additional question, or they put in a different fact or something like that. And it's never, you can never get a hold of the thing you want to get a hold. But the reason they're doing it, and this is important, is because they're training you not to just learn the law. Anybody can learn the law. You can go online right now and Google it. You know the law like we know the law. Here's what they're training you to do. They're training you to identify the issues that other people don't see. You get a set of facts, and maybe you pull out one or two issues, but when you get the law school exam grades back, you're like, wow, there were 14 issues in this two-thing little paragraph. I missed 10 of them. And the Lord's asking the question, watch this, so that you know the issue. You get it? He's saying to him, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? It's just like the Lord is a spiritual masseuse. <laughs> and he knows where that knot is in your spiritual life. And he just goes, thunk, and he puts his thumb on it. And you know. You see, I'm not so sure Jonah even thought he was doing anything wrong here. And that's the insidious part. And see, I think that's the insidious part of American Christianity. We don't even know we're doing anything wrong. 
What do I mean? Well, as I've been seeing and looking at Christendom over the last three or four years, here's what I see. A lot of hate and disassociation with people who don't believe the same things we do. (laughs) It's just like this. We fire things out over Facebook because you didn't vote in the right party or you don't believe the right things. Well, why do you think people wouldn't vote and believe the things you do if they're unconverted? I mean, (laughs) of course they're not going to. In fact, they're going to do exactly the opposite. You ever find yourself watching a certain news channel and you say, how could, how, how? Well, the reason is, is because they don't, they're, they're not converted. I mean, they don't, they don't have the spirit of God in their life. Why would we be surprised? And the Lord says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Why would you not want a people to come to me? Why would you want to, you know, divide a line right down the middle? And you say, all the people who are non-believers and barbaric, I'm not going to associate or even be around you. It's not what the Lord did. Here he says, why, is it, why are you angry, uh, Jonah? He put his spiritual thumb right on the knot that's keeping him from what God has called him to do. How do I know he's not doing what God has called him to do? Because I read the next verse. Because Jonah went out of the city. Jonah went out of the city. As God has asked a question to reveal the things in Jonah's own heart, Jonah goes out of the city and sat on the east side of the city to get by a hill and just sort of look. We'll talk about it in a minute. But here's the first mistake Jonah's making. Here's where we can see that Jonah has got an ugly attitude here walking in the flesh to these people. He goes out of the city. What, what do you think God has called a person of God to do in a city full of people who have repented? Go love them. Go teach them. Go minister to them. Go share with them. And here Jonah goes out of the city, out of the city. By the way, sort of along the same lines, do you know the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that people are going to hear, of course, People are going to hear a number of ways, but one of the ways that people are going to hear is when a preacher preaches to them. Now, you don't have to be a preacher like this. You could be at your place of work and proclaim the gospel. You could be at your uh, extracurricular activity and proclaim the gospel. Somebody uh, this week called me and said there have been two long-term time employees And this person said uh, the two longtime employees reached out to them. And this person said she went farther with them in the discussions in the workplace, but she really didn't give something off of the back of a magazine. And within the last two months, these two people have reached out to her, and she prayed with both of these people, watch this, and they both surrendered their life to Christ. And 
the reason I'm telling you that is, watch, it's just God and Jonah at the beginning. And then it progresses, and it, the story comes, and it's God, or excuse me, God, Jonah, and a bunch of pagan seafarers. And God shows his mercy to the seafarers, and then he sort, sort of, not sort of, he does show his mercy to Jonah as Jonah starts to repent. And then the story goes to a whole city, a evil city full of barbaric people, and God shows incredible, amazing amounts of mercy if that's the way of saying it. It probably isn't the theologically correct way of saying it. I mean, it's just the Lord's mercy just never runs out. His grace never runs out. And here you see it. And then what's interesting is this is so wonderful. I want you to see it. God comes back just to Jonah. And what's often a tragedy is when people in the church and they can be a blessing to other people, but they totally miss the blessing themselves. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe they come and they work and do and bless and fix and clean. And then they go home and they're jerks. And that's what sort of the Lord is doing here. The Lord is saying to Jonah, by my grace in your bad attitude, do you see that? The Lord did this and prepared all that he's going to prepare for Jonah, even when Jonah had a terrible, cruddy attitude. I almost said appetite. (laughs) Attitude, which tells you something about God's grace. See, Oh, man, I want us to think about this. I think we think in the American church a lot of times we need to perform for God. Lord, if I go to 10 Bible studies in a row and if I make the prayer uh, time and if I sing in the choir and if I put money in the box, man, you're going to bless me, Lord. Well, Jonah tells a different story because Jonah was being pretty cruddy and the Lord still blesses him. Isn't that amazing? And that's grace. God just keeps reaching out for his people, keep reaching out for his people. And what the Lord wants to do with Jonah is something that's pretty spectacular. But Jonah goes out of the city and sits on the east side. And there he makes himself a shelter and sits under it in the shade till he might uh, uh, see what would become of the city. He sort of makes a lean-to. Again, he has houses he could be in down in the city. He could be preaching, staying with, ministering to. But no, he goes and makes a lean-to. And the Lord God prepared this plant. And he made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. Now watch this. Circle it. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant And it says it's sort of like he was joyful and happy. And it's the first and only time, watch it, it's the first and only time in the whole book of Jonah where it says he was happy. Why? Because he had let what Hebrews 12 
tells us not to let creep in. He had let bitterness creep in. And when bitterness creeps in, watch, you're always thinking about yourself. And when you, you say, you might not say it audibly, but you say it, I say it, we say it. Lord, I deserve, I'm the pastor. I need the shade and the comfort. I've been doing stuff here, Lord, or whatever. And this bitterness, it's always rooted, isn't it? This bitterness is always rooted in self-life or selfishness. <laughs> and it's because, you see, we're operating for the wrong purposes or reasons. What are the reasons that a Christian would operate? Well, the Bible tells us, watch this, set your mind on things above. Keep your mind in the realms of heaven, in the realms of the eternal. Uh, oh, by the way, you're to have within you, and not you're to have, that's with such a terrible way of saying it. You have within you the mind of Christ. But when you don't walk according to the spirit and walk according to the flesh, these things start to pop up. You go, I need comfort. I need shade. Lord, I don't want the stuff in the city where I'm ministering and pouring out my life. I want to just sit and be a spectator. And oh, by the way, you need to cover me. Isn't that interesting? It's rooted in this bitterness, Hebrews 12, 15. It's rooted in this selfishness and walking according to the flesh and not according to the spirit. But watch this. Here Jonah is very grateful, but did you ever scratch your head? The next sentence is, but as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. I want you to see something. God prepared the plant that grew up over Jonah and Jonah loved it. Oh Lord, you blessed me. Thank you so much. And immediately God prepared the worm the next day and it ate the plant and knocked it out. And it so damaged the plant that it withered and it happened when the sun arose. Watch this. Three God prepareds right in a row. Plant, worm, and now he prepares a really heat or heated and hot wind, a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself, and it said, better for me to die than to live. Why in the world would God send a worm immediately? Why would God take away our comfort, our gourd, our security, our job, a relationship where you've idolized, uh, the security of money, why would he do that? Why would he even bring you to a place sometimes where our health isn't the best? Why would he do it? Because the Lord knows we get attached to things way or really easily. And we're to be unattached people. He says, lay aside every hindrance. He tells us that we're pilgrims or aliens just traveling through. So what does he say in his word? He says, just travel light. Don't be clutching on to the things of this world. And we do. We get attached so easily. A lot of people won't go and serve. Why? Because they're too busy. 
think about that. And the Lord can call you in a million different ways. It has, doesn't have to be the same way the Lord calls me. Lord calls you differently. And that's wonderful. But the Lord does call you for something. But many of us will say, well, I can't do that. I'm, I'm way too busy as if I'm the most important person in the world. And I got news for you. The world's going to keep chugging as long as the Lord's, you know, tarries with or without us. Here, the Lord takes a worm and eats it up just so he won't get so attached and have that entitled attitude. Lord, I'm being a good little boy or a good little girl. I need you to give me grace. Lord says, you got it all wrong. And we're going to learn and we're going to learn. And so he does it. Says he's better for me to die than to live. And then God said to Jonah, Hey, Jonah, again, another spiritual issue that he brings to the forefront. Is it right for me to be angry? Or, excuse me, uh, yeah, is it, and he said, Is it right for me to be angry even to death? Or, excuse me, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry even to death. That's what Jonah said, sorry. Wow, God has identified a spiritual stumbling block. Remember Jesus to the rich young ruler? (laughs) It's not as if some people can't handle wealth, but the rich young ruler couldn't handle wealth, and the Lord knew it. And he said, man, I've done everything. I've kept the law and all that. And the Lord said, oh, good, go sell everything, and then come back. And he couldn't because it had become an idol. The Lord doesn't want that for you. It's the most dangerous place to be. The safest place to be is tucked right up under the shadow of his wings, following the Lord, just doing and going where he says. So the Lord asks again, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? See, because anger is like a wildfire. It can start little and it can grow big. And it can destroy families and destroy Uh, organizations, and it can destroy the church, and it can destroy all kinds of things. And so this was dangerous for both Jonah and for others. It is a right for me to be angry. Yes, it's right for me to be angry, even to death. And then here it comes. The whole reason for the book is right here at the end. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And shouldn't I not pity Nineveh? You have had pity on the plant. Think about the ridiculousness of this, folks. You have had pity on the plant. Your, your whole affection and allegiance was for your comfort and blessing. And when I blessed you, you reveled in that. And you were more interested in the gifts rather than the giver, you didn't do have anything to do with it. You didn't labor, you didn't make it grow, and it came up and then it perished again. And you're telling me I should not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. Well, let's just talk about that real quick. Why do you think he said he couldn't discern between their right hand and their left? Well, in Deuteronomy 139, it's sort of a reference to young people. 
So some people are saying, well, there were a ton of even young people here, and I had pity on them. And so if there were this many young people, there was this many people because there were old people there too, like the moms and the dads. Maybe, maybe not. Some people believe that when it says couldn't discern between the right and the left is that they didn't know right from wrong. Whatever. And why did he tag on here much livestock? Because Jonah was thinking, oh my gosh, the Ninevites are guilty. It's okay if you wipe them out, but cattle, they didn't do anything. And so some people believe that. All right. Just having said that, Watch this. If you go over to Philippians 2, let's, let's just go over there. Go over to Philippians 2. I referred to it earlier, but let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't want you to read this in a familiar way. You, you've read it so many times that you could almost just blow through it and not be in awe. Paul is saying here that what's available to you is the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ thinks and acts not the way we think and act in the flesh. The mind of Christ thinks this way, who was in the form of God, didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. Jesus was and is God, but watch this, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Jesus comes out of the heavens, Psalm 22, like a worm, lower than the low. <laughs> He becomes a human. And not only that, he didn't come as a king. He, he came in a lowly, slobbery stable. And he came, and he had to have his diapers changed, and he was tired, and he had to eat. And he came in the likeness of man, and being found in his appearance as a man, he humbled himself, watch this, and became obedient to the point of death. And then it doesn't stop there. I always quote it and stop there, but it doesn't stop there. Even the death of the cross, which means it was the most humiliating death that one could die. And then it goes on and tells us how God has exalted him. So watch this. The Lord, number one, what is he doing here when he tells us that he pities Nineveh, that great city, with the people who don't know right from wrong? He pities them why don't you, Jonah? And many have said, and this is very interesting thought, that the reason people don't go and share the gospel is not because they don't know their God and the love of God for them. Watch this. They do love that. They do know that. The reason people don't go wherever it is the Lord's calling you to, is because we don't really like, in fact, we may even hate the people who God is calling us to share with. Wow. Now think about it. Think about it, folks. I was thinking about this today. What if the Lord said to you right now, what if he said to somebody in this church, I want you to go and share with the people of Russia 
or I want you to go and I want you to share with the Taliban, or I want you to go and I want you to share with the higher ups of Russia, the people of Russia, they haven't done anything, but the higher ups of Russia, or I want you to go into the Taliban, or I want you to go speak to ISIS, or I want you to go and I just want you to pray. But what if he said, I want you to go to the hardest, most difficult places in Pittsburgh, the places that sort of are sketchy, or the places that don't smell great, and there's booze smell and urine and sort of hot and smelly, and you, you like the comfort of the suburbs. But what if the Lord is calling you to go and minister to people who, in really awkward situations, I don't know, but, and you don't want to go there. It's almost as if we're Jonah again. One other thing, or maybe a couple other things I want you to see about Jonah is the Lord was not through with him. He used Jonah, yes, a flawed human, but watch through these spiritual questions, the Lord's doing things. He's trying to remove the things, the impediments that will make him a servant that keeps going on. Here, one thing, his prejudices. Don't you pray that the Lord would remove the prejudices from our lives? His hatred. Don't you pray that the Lord would remove all shreds of hatred from our life? His self-reliance, ay, 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 that one gets me. Don't you pray that you, the Lord would remove all aspects of self-reliance from your life? See, because everything we do outside of faith, it's nothing. It's nothing if we do it outside of faith. Anybody can do that. Even our work, whatever it is. And the Lord was doing a mighty work. Now here, I'll close with this. Because it's sort of a shocking last chapter. But I personally believe there's good news here. Who wrote the book of Jonah? Tell me. Who? What'd you say? What are you saying? I can't hear you. God. Yeah, God wrote it through the Holy Spirit by who? Jonah. And if that's true, I want you to see something. Watch what happens at the end. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? It's a question. <laughs> Come on, aren't, you, aren't there some really buttoned up people here who can't deal not finding out the end of the story? It's as if the Lord just lets it linger there. And yes, and the Lord says, can I have pity? You see, in order for us to go and minister in those places that aren't real popular, or even I'd say, you know, outside of our comfort zone, we are to have the mind of God.
and the mind of God for the Taliban. And the mind of God for somebody who votes differently than you is that he pities them. He might even be pitying you, but uh, you know what I'm saying. You understand it? He has a heart for people who don't know him. And he wants us to go. And here's the interesting part. He is happy that we go. But when you go, he wants to do something in you. We go, we trudge along. I've been to Latvia, other places, you know, and you, 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 know, you get the meetings together and you pray for one another. And you sort of think, oh, man, this is amazing, the great work we're going to go do. <laughs> and it is true. The Lord's called you to that. That is great work. But never miss out on this. The Lord wants to do a great work in you while you're there. And to take all these things out and fill us up with his love and light, his mind, so that we won't think the way the world wants us to think, even as Christians, but we'll think the way he really thinks. The one who was innocent and went through a a crooked trial the one who got spat on and beaten up by the very people he was dying for, the one who could look down from the cross and say, Father, forgive them. They don't even know. Here's what I think. I think the Lord went on to do a great work in Jonah's life because it would be, (laughs) watch, it would be really humiliating if you were living according to the flesh the rest of your life to end the story here. But he shows signs of true humility and repentance and pursuit of God when he lets that question linger. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do. We come to you and uh, amazing stuff. a book where its final verse is a question. And I think you're asking us, Lord, do we pity like you pity? Do we have your mind? Are we walking according to the Spirit so that we are thinking about enemies like you think about enemies? Or are we engaged in the um, false stuff that we see all over social media? Are we getting angry about things when we understand and know that others who don't follow you are going to act contrary to your word? Well, Lord, help us in all these areas. Help us to see that as we move out and are serving and growing, you're actually doing an amazing work in us too. And we can't forget it. In Jesus' name, amen.